welcome to the Vine Podcast. This is Warren, and we've got a, a special episode today. We are, are going to get to know our new family life resident a little better. Rachel and her husband, Hezzy, made it to the States, and we're very excited about that. And if you watched yesterday to watch uh, our, our worship service on Sunday, you were able to hear a little bit of the, the end part of their journey in Kenya and, and how they kind of finally did make it over to uh, to America, to Houston. And so we're going to hear more, though, about uh, her time in Kenya and, and just get to know Rachel a little bit better today. Uh, so Rachel, thanks for, for jumping on with us today and looking forward to the conversation and looking forward to getting to know you better. Thank you. I'm so excited to be with you guys. This is my first time to ever do a podcast and it's on my bucket list. So can we check that off? <laughs> we can check it off. Yeah, so. by all means, check that off the list. Yeah. Yeah. And that other voice is of course, Jason, who's joining us again today. So hello, Jason. How are you? Hey, uh, it, it's a little warm in my house. We're uh, waiting for the air conditioner to get repaired, but <laughs> oh, otherwise no. I'm doing great. We're having fun. That seems to be going around. Bill Bill, and Kathy have that issue too. So I saw that and uh, I can commiserate a little yeah. bit. Uh, that's in our case, uh, our house was, is, uh, was built in 1939 and I think the air conditioner was installed just a few years after that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so we're we're uh, having to figure out how to make do with a, an old house and an old AC. Very good. Well, hope it's not too hot, and hope that gets that gets fixed soon. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, we're going to kind of mostly focus today uh, on Rachel's time in in Kenya and kind of how how you got there and and your experiences there. And so Rachel, how? How long did you end up living in Kenya before y'all made the transition here just a few days ago? We were ago? in Kenya for almost four years, but I had been going to Kenya since I was in high school. So I'm not sure if you, when you put all that time together how much it is, but I've been visiting Kenya since 2007, at least on short-term basis. And then I was there for six months in 2014, but consistently living almost four years. Almost four years. Good. So you've you've got quite uh, a fairly long history with with that part of the world yeah. and, and that country. Um, so maybe if you can just maybe to to kind of begin, um, tell us about how you and and your husband met and just kind of that process and and what led to you moving full time to Kenya. We met when I was doing an internship in Kenya. That was in twenty fourteen. And I was visiting his church as a guest speaker, and he was the usher welcoming me. But we didn't really get to talk that much until several months later. Uh, but we just had a lot of, of common friends and kind of shared Christian community. So we would meet for a prayer service in somebody's home, and we would both be there. And that just kept happening over and over again. And so it kind of <laughs> gave us time to familiarize with each other, even though my husband was pretty quiet at first. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I had, I had already been planning to move to Kenya for years. It was a dream on my heart for probably... It was probably for 10 years that I had prayed about it before actually moving there. 
So meeting him and marrying him was just kind of a bonus from God <laughs> because I was already on that track. And then to have a husband there helped me in so many ways with understanding the culture and easing into life there. And even just the technical stuff like immigration, it just made it uh, easier the fact that I was married to a Kenyan. So that was just kind of a blessing God had that I hadn't anticipated, but it did make for a much richer, more beautiful experience living there. That's cool. Cause that, that was one of the things that I was wondering about was just how y'all went about kind of making the decision about like, where do we live and, and do we live in Kenya or, or America? But, but that was already part of your plan was to, was to, to live there in, in Kenya. So what, was that was that sort of a missional feel? Was that a calling that you felt just to to Kenya specifically, or what? What kind of gave you that that drive to to feel like you were being led to live in Kenya? I think it was a, a long process, but definitely sparked by the short term mission trips that I had there with my church in Houston and the ministry that I was able to do there. I think formed me as a minister and showed me that I could try different things. When I first went there, I didn't even like children. <laughs> I was actually scared of children. I just felt uncomfortable around them. And um, I realized in, I think that first trip was God starting to open my heart and soften my heart toward working with children. And then on another trip, I got to teach a women's conference and another trip was sports, which I'm not athletic at all, but I was still able to do it. And that just kind of created this sense in me of if I'm doing these things that I don't like doing and are not my comfort zone, and yet I absolutely love it. There, there's something to that. And um, when I was teaching a women's conference, I got this sense that this is what I was created for, and I felt my greatest sense of joy. So I think God just drew my heart to there through all the ministry experiences that I had and all the formation that he did in me in that place. So it became a very significant place for my own faith walk and for who I am as a minister of the gospel. And just every time I would visit, it was just another seed planted of desire um, to be there. And I think he, he fulfilled that after after a long time. And we got to do years of, of so much fun and just really meaningful ministry before transitioning back here. But we do still hope to go back to Kenya after maybe a few years. So this is, so I guess, how do you kind of go about thinking about that long term for you, for you and, and, and has he as a, as a couple, like is, I guess, do you just kind of see going back and forth and, and do you consider both places to kind of be home and, and you're going to be here for a while and then there for a while? Or how do you go about kind of making those decisions as a couple for what your life looks like going forward? Originally, we had planned to just be in Kenya like for the rest of our lives, and there was a, a change in his heart and my husband's heart, and God was just really speaking to him about us needing to, to open another venture and uh, continue our ministry in another place. And my heart was really closed to that for a long time, um, but it took a lot of prayer and a lot of conversations between me and my husband. and. For now, basically, our plan is to to start a new journey with the vine and 
go from there. We don't really have a, a plan after that. So it was, it was hard enough just getting here. So we're, we're going to take it one step at a time. But I guess um, one thing my husband opened my eyes to was that my life can be bigger and wider than I thought was possible. So in my mind, it was like one country for the rest of my life. That's it. But he saw it in a different way and said there are more possibilities for us. We can, you know, maybe a few years in Kenya, a few years in the U.S., and that was something I hadn't considered. So I think uh, that is yet to be determined, but I'm more open to it than I was even a year ago. That's great. That's cool. And, you know, I think that was one of the things that that, that certainly stood out to, to us and I know to, to me and to Jason just about, your openness, both you as an individual and y'all as a couple to, to wherever God was leading you and whatever doors that, that he was opening. And, and so we're thrilled that you did make the decision collectively to, <laughs> to not only come, come back to the States, but to join us here at the Vine. And, and we're excited about what that's going to look like going forward and, and what opportunities um, may be presented because of it. And and, you know, I think another thing that stood out to me just about your your kind of story, I think y'all have such a unique story and, and perspective, but one of the things that really stood out to me was just the diversity of, of ministry that you've been able to mm-hmm. do. I mean, as you, I mean, you've worked with women in, in a women's prison, right? Yes, Isn't that right? Yes. Um, uh, at women's conferences, with at a children's home, in, in church ministry, um, and and all of that in a foreign country. And so not only is it a diversity of, of kind of opportunities, but you're doing all that on the other side of the world. And that just, that seems crazy to me. So can you talk for a minute about just navigating not only the diversity of all those different um, outlets and venues, but but doing all that in... In a, in a country that you didn't grow up in, and, and mm. even if you spent time there, yeah. uh, I'm sure it feels foreign still in, in, in many ways, or at least I would assume it has mm. to. So can you just kind of talk about that and how you navigated all that and, and what you had to do to kind of make, make all that work? My first thought is that I think there are more spiritual gifts than just those listed in scripture. And I think that grace for international ministry or grace to be in a culture that's not your own, I think that that is another spiritual gift. And I've seen that in some people and I've hosted a lot of short-term groups when they come to Kenya. And I've seen some distinction of there are some people who seriously struggle in ministering in a culture not their own. And for other people that it just comes a bit more naturally and with a lot more joy and ease. And so I do think that God has given me that gift. And I think it's by his grace that it wasn't really that hard. (laughs) Um, And the Kenyan people are very loving and gracious generally, and they absolutely love visitors. And so when they see someone who is a fresh face or someone that they believe has come from far away. They are attuning their ears to listen to that message, believing that it has weight and importance and that it's going to bring them blessing or hope that they may not have heard or known before. So it was kind of already an ideal situation that the people I'm going to teach already have ears perked up and 
and a kind of faith in the message that I'm bringing believe because it's coming from far away um so I think that was definitely something that made it much more seamless than it could have been and it was actually so awesome to be able to have freedom in the type of ministry that I could do I wasn't working for an organization so I basically just would be in prayer and sense how the Lord was leading me and go for it. <laughs> so like women's prison ministry, nobody came to me, no one asked, no one wrote me a proposal or anything. I just had that in my heart actually for several years. And I approached the prison and filled out the paperwork and waited, you know, the processing time and got the approval and started partnering with the chaplain. And it was basically... Um, spirit or self-initiated and I really loved that freedom so I didn't see the diversity of ministry as a challenge but more as just like so fun <laughs> because I could be with the children one day with the women in prison the next day with the youth at church the following day I could take a day of rest when I needed to and so I just um I think it was it was pretty ideal for my personality and for my gifts that's great. Um, and you, you mentioned kind of the generosity of, of the Kenyan people. And I, um, I certainly don't have much uh, personal experience with, um, with, with, with uh, people from Kenya, but there were a few at ACU when I was there, and, and that was my experience mm -hmm. always with them, with, with the few that I got to interact with there. They were just always very warm and welcoming mm. and, and generous in spirit. And, and I had told you, Rachel, that when I was a kid, we had a guy from Kenya who worked with us at the, my dad was a director of a summer camp for a while. And, and he worked with us for a summer and was just the, the same thing, very warm, mm. uh, just had a very hospitable and generous spirit. And, and I remember he would make us food uh, occasionally. And the, the food <laughs> that I remember most kind of most vividly was, um, I think it was Ugali. Oh Am man, I pronouncing you've that, had right? Ugali? That's awesome. <laughs> so I loved yeah, we, it. You loved it? We had it? that in Tanzania too. Wow, yeah. that's awesome. And um, I actually ordered it. Mm -hmm. uh, we, went to, we went to an African restaurant uh, in, last fall and I ordered it for the first time, you know, at a restaurant or anything and it was not it wasn't the it same. It was not the same. <laughs> it it really, was not what I remembered. It really depends um, on the person who made it, their style of making it, and possibly the quality of the cornflour. But ugali is basically what we eat for dinner every single day in Kenya. All right, and sometimes so can, so lunch. can you make? So, so I want to try some ugali. Can you make? I'll ugali? make you some ugali. <laughs> All right. Well, All right. even when when I was in Tanzania a few years ago, uh, you know, we ate a lot of ugali there mm. and it seemed like it was different every place we went yes uh, yeah. that that different different people made it very differently mm. so yeah, yeah this this place where, where we ordered it it was like because i was excited about like ashley and isley trying it i figured banner <laughs> wouldn't try it our youngest our, our youngest um but it came out and it was it was basically this like brick basically oh. and it was very dry <laughs> and was not oh. what i remembered it being yeah. even consistency wise and so i was like well don't Y'all don't judge it by this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so so we'll have to try it. And I remember that, and there was some chicken dish that I don't remember exactly what what name it was, <laughs> but it was very good as well. Awesome. And so I was curious do you do you have a favorite uh, food from 
from from Kenya and from your time there yeah what, what would be your favorite I love the produce in Kenya because it's fresh it's directly from the farm so we uh once we're given a haul of avocados like sacks of mm. avocados <laughs> fresh from somebody's tree and we ate avocado on everything and the fruit is fresh like mangoes pineapples and uh so the produce oh and i had my own garden so kale and spinach so when i wanted to make kale and spinach i would just go pick what we needed and cook it and so i loved having that access to super fresh fruits and vegetables but on the carb side i also love chapati <laughs> chapati is similar to a mexican tortilla but it's a little bit sugary er and um we eat it with like rice or chicken and so yeah it's just like a tortilla but i love the chapati too if it's been made well and eggs yeah. like the eggs you know that are just like the chicken laid the egg five minutes ago and you <laughs> cook it up like that's, those, those eggs are pretty good <laughs> that's yeah. very very cool yeah well i'm excited for when um when once we can actually start doing things together again I just want to have a Kenyan food night that and sounds awesome. culture night, and y'all yeah. can tell us all about Kenyan culture, mm -hmm. and we can eat. And um, so I'm, I'm um, <laughs> I didn't ask you if you were up for that, but I'm, I'm hoping that we can do that <laughs> at some point. <laughs> yeah, and we have our clothes ready, our Kitenge clothes, the That's great, traditional man. African clothes. So if you guys have anything from Tanzania or anything, go ahead and get those ready. <laughs> Yeah, we do. We we've got quite a connection to to Tanzania, and uh, not only uh, you know our uh, one of the former ministers at the Vine um, is is in Tanzania now. We've had other people who have gone over to Africa to to do mission work and to live. Uh, one of our elders was in Tanzania for a while when he was a kid, and when his parents were doing medical mission work there, and he goes back over there occasionally. So, so we have connections to. Um, to that part of the world nice. and um and i think i think that would be a fun fun experience for us yeah. to get to do or we could just have like a world cultures night it doesn't have to be specifically kenya but just like celebrating anybody who has some sort of international connection you bring yeah. a food actually, dish for, and dress your dress <laughs> you know actually for being such a small church i think we would have a pretty good representation of, of a number of different cultures and nationalities yeah. for sure yeah, we have several who grew up, especially several who, who were who are kids of missionaries, and, oh, and um, neat. Uh, so, so yeah, all, all all kinds of experiences like that. Yeah. What about what about other aspects? Are are there other aspects of of kind of the the Kenyan culture that that you kind of most appreciated and and are hoping to kind of carry with you and incorporate to your your life, your family, your ministry, any things like that? I think there are so many. I love the hospitality culture, which was really challenging for me to for me to try and rise up to that standard of always being happy to welcome a visitor at any time of the day with no appointment <laughs> and they expect to be fed something, you know. And so you kind of have to always be dressed, always have some food, you know, ready. So um yeah, that hospitality is something that I try to reach that level in my personal life, especially when we come back here. And just the the love and, and the appreciation of people. Like if someone comes to visit you, they usually send you off with a gift. And um, 
there's just kind of this this tight-knit love between people and within the families they value extended family whereas in western societies we're more individualistic we value the nuclear family but like when we were living with my husband's parents we are with his parents and his sister and her kids and then his brother just lived a few minutes away and his wife and their kids and so it was just kind of a whole big family all together all eating meals together and all taking care of each other and i think that's something pretty beautiful that i i would like to try to incorporate into my life more yeah um and i know you know when we had talked before i know um even talking about just some of the challenges of of kind of covid uh season that that everyone in the world is kind of dealing with yeah. in some way or another it feels like that that you know we had talked about how in america we're kind of relying on technology mm-hmm. a lot more and and we have kind of some of those opportunities available um but but that the, those opportunities aren't necessarily as widespread mm-hmm. in in parts of of Kenya and so it sounds like though just in general not even in just in this season but just in general there's there's more of a reliance on 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 kind of personal connectivity and relationships whereas in America we we may tend to lean maybe too much on social media mm. and technology for those things yeah um at times I think there's something in the absence of social media, maybe you have to kind of rely on those things. more. Yeah. (laughs) And in Kenya, there's the emphasis on your neighborhood and the people who live near you. And so you have freedom to just walk around and visit all your neighbors, like everyone in walking distance. But for here in the U.S., it's kind of like you have to know someone from outside of your neighborhood. You have to have a connection. Maybe you you know them from work or school or church, and then you can connect but for there, it's like you know your neighbors, so you just go around and walk and, and talk to your neighbors. <laughs> but for for here, in order to go visit your neighbor, you need to like already know them from somewhere else, you know? <laughs> yeah, good point. Yeah, absolutely. And another another kind of part of the Kenyan culture that I, I, uh, I wanted you to kind of maybe share with us about was just about the, the process of, of a of a wedding and getting married and, and everything that goes into kind of planning a, a wedding ceremony. Cause I think that that sounded very different from what we experience here in America. Um, and so can you share with us just some about that? Because you, uh, y'all were married in Kenya, right? Yes. Uh, was it, were a lot of your family members able to go over there for mm-hmm. that? Yeah. So uh, our family came, my family came like my parents and my sisters and several of my closest friends came to be my bridesmaids which was a huge blessing so much fun yeah that's cool the planning of it was definitely different than it would be here normally in the U.S. the bride and groom or maybe the bride and her mother do the bulk of the planning but in Kenya we had a committee which is our friends and they come together once a week and we all rent a room in a restaurant and we talk and we say okay who's in charge of the cake who's in charge of decorations who's going to make sure we have enough vehicles to transport us from one place to another Uh, who's in charge of getting the groom suits and so you delegate tasks to your friends and the financial aspect is also on your friends and your community which was surprising and interesting to me and it's kind of it within their sense of community so your friends will contribute financially towards your wedding and then they do that 
it's sort of like insurance somehow, like a community thing, knowing that when they get married, you will contribute towards theirs. So, um, yeah, that was something I, I didn't expect, but that was kind of nice. <laughs> you had a little bit of financial support, but then when it comes around to other people, you have to be ready to give as well. And it was, a, it was a little bit chaotic. We were running around the city, you know, literally walking on our feet, looking around for clothes and cake and, and stuff like that, um, even to like the right the day before <laughs> the wedding. And then the actual setup for the wedding was my husband and his brothers and his neighbors and family, like all the community, they were the ones sweeping the church, setting up the chairs, making sure the compound was clean and so it's definitely more community wide whereas in the yes it's bride and groom or bride and her mom or bride and wedding planner <laughs> yeah and i think the the thing that i really appreciated or, or got out of that 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 story and that example is it seems like that's a metaphor really for a lot of just other cultural probably aspects mm. of mm-hmm. of american life and of kenyan life and how, you know, I've always even kind of had this idea that like a wedding is, is like, I, I guess almost felt like a wedding is kind of your, your one chance to sort of be selfish and like, mm. whatever I want to do, like, this is yep. my day. This is the day for me and my spouse yeah. and the rest of you can come, but we're going to choose right. like what we want yes. and, and <laughs> our music and our food mm-hmm. and our taste. And like, this is our day and we mm. want you to come be a part of it. But almost like a, a self-indulgent kind of, you know, ex- yeah. excuse to, to kind of have the focus be on you. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's, it seemed like when you were describing that, it's almost the exact opposite. Yeah. It's this recognition that, <laughs> yeah. that our lives are communal in nature. And so our marriage sort of should be as well. Yes. And we're going to support each other in that. Yeah. And, and and that was helpful for me to kind of be able to see how even a wedding ceremony mm. um, could speak to that nature right. of the communal nature of, of our relationships and family and mm. friends and all of that. Yeah, when you're planning a wedding in Kenya, you're planning an event for your family and your friends. Like, it's not your thing. You're planning a celebration for them. <laughs> so, yeah, it's oh. kind of the flip. It's the reverse of what it is here. So I think you, you hit that on the head. Was that... What, because I know, I know, again, kind of just thinking stereotypically, so many, um, this may be over-stereotyping, but I think there, we kind of have this this picture of, like, American girls dreaming of what their wedding <laughs> looks like yeah. and, you know, just all of those things. So, like, was that hard for you initially to give up some of that? Was um, it harder for you or for your mom or... <laughs> I think it was hard for my mom a little bit, but she she had to roll with it when she arrived and saw that everything was in place, you know, and just like she knew that she didn't really have any power or understand the systems or how to make decisions there. So I think she also appreciated that those things were done. The hard thing for me was that when you talk to someone and you kind of like book something and they agree on the way that you do want it. And then they deliver something that's not what you wanted at all. (laughs) So I could talk about our wedding decorations. When, when I saw the flowers on the car that was picking me up to take me to the wedding and I, I got in the car and I looked at the flowers and I said, are those the wedding flowers? (laughs) And I said, if those are the wedding flowers, tear them all down. We're not using those. It's like that is not even close to what I described with the flower guy. But 
we we had to use it, but I just didn't hold my bouquet in most of my wedding pictures because I hated the flowers. They were not at all what I had intended. But that, you know, just stuff like that, you just kind of have to let it go. And it's not going to be the perfect thing that you envisioned, but we definitely had a lot of fun and it was joyful and our families were there. And it was really just a celebration of the fact that we were, you know, unified and we were getting married. So the rest of the stuff didn't matter as much, but I did have some come of that hurt in my heart of like, this is not what I planned for, but at the end of the day, we were married, and it was beautiful and lots of fun. Yeah, I like that. I like, I like just the imagery of that, the, um, the supportive nature of that, the the communal nature of that, and and how it kind of, um, it does call you probably to, to recognize that you're not in control of yes, everything and for sure. all all of those things <laughs> that we could probably all use a reminder of. Yeah, uh, we just. We don't think of weddings as the opportunity to do that, and I thought that that just provided such a um, an interesting picture of mm-hmm. just some several of those things. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I know you've talked some about so we've talked some so that's that's certainly one uh, you know I think emblematic of of one part of the culture that you kind of spoke to earlier, just the generosity of the people and the communal nature of everything, and that's probably kind of this this uh, this very tangible picture of, of all of that. Uh, I'm wondering though, just kind of about just thinking generally then about life in Kenya. Um, I know you, you said you had visited there several times before you moved there full time, but, but I know that can be a very different experience of Mm. visiting somewhere versus living somewhere. And, and, uh, so I'm wondering once you, uh, are in Kenya full time, you're married and, and now kind of, this is where you live, um, as a married couple, was there anything about life there that that was really kind of surprising to you or unexpected or or was anything that was kind of very difficult to sort of acclimate to now as a a kind of full-time resident there? Yeah. I think there was some expectations of other people on me that I hadn't anticipated. Um, maybe people would expect me to support them financially or, you know, they just had a lot of um, ideas of what a white person does and what they're capable of doing that wasn't really within the realm of what I was intending to do. And so I think it took me a little bit of time to figure out how to respond to things like that well. And then what did surprise me at some point was when I there were things in the culture that I didn't like because when I was just visiting it was like maybe a week at a time or even six months wasn't really long enough to to see some of the ugliness of the culture too and Mm -hmm. so after living there for a long time and realizing some of the injustices that exist or the way that certain people are treated and uh, so that was really frustrating for me and it was hard because it was like I almost had this kind of dreamlike picture of what Kenya was. And then when I was actually living there full time, it was like, oh, it's a little bit different than that. And it's actually pretty hard. <laughs> there are mm. some, some difficulty about this place, too. So I think that was, um, yeah, that was a little bit jolting sometimes and, and to understand what to do when I would have anger about things like that. And when, when there was injustice even pointed towards me and how I should respond. Um, but 
I think that was part of my maturing to to know how to to realize that those things exist and how to respond in a constructive way on my end. So was there was there a particular injustice that you encountered there that that sort of um, you tried to maybe or maybe that came up in your ministry or that you tried to kind of speak to or I think there are just some like silly things like when I was trying to get on a public bus and they increased the price of the ticket just because I was white and I told the operator of the bus that's not fair you can't change the price because of the color of my skin and he was like so you're a white person you have lots of money <laughs> and just you know just things like that that were frustrating and so just knowing how to to explain uh well to people like no that is not right you can't do that <laughs> Um, and probably your perception about me is wrong because I'm not working. I don't have a job. Like I don't have any income. (laughs) I'm probably poorer than you are. (laughs) So, um, yeah, things like that, but I had to adjust to, and God helped me a lot, (laughs) but they were definitely Mm -hmm. surprises. Well, and I would think, especially in, in, in working with a prison, you probably had to, you um, maybe come up against injustices that that mm. maybe exist within the culture itself as well yeah. or and I know that's been you know th- those are common conversations now in our culture as well mm. but were were there any any was there anything that you learned kind of as you worked with with people in the prison system or oh man or, or yeah things like that <laughs> yeah basically if you're poor and you get in jail, your chances of getting out are really, really low. But if you have money, you'll be able to to pay yourself, pay your way through the process. Maybe even if it's bail through legal means. Um, but yeah, there's definitely a lot of injustice there. A lot of people that are wrongly convicted in prison. I ministered to a woman who was in my class who had been in prison for nine years, and then she was released. Um, Basically, they finally said, we don't have any evidence on you (laughs) after already being in prison for nine years. And then just like probably most African countries, there's a high level of corruption. So money has been allocated for the basic needs of the prisoners for things like soap, and they have no soap. (laughs) So uh, I would do my best to to get donations and buy soap for the women and take that to them and that was a huge blessing for them and I'm so thrilled to be able to do that but in the back of your mind you're like the money was there for this like it they should have this I'm not resolving the corruption or the problem by bringing it to them but I am just providing a basic need for today yeah and I know you had said as as part of our conversation about the the end of your time in Kenya that that you kind of struggled at first with purpose and as your as your departure got delayed you you kind of were wrestling with this kind of question of what what am I supposed to be doing what is my yeah. purpose and and kind of that that struggle that you had in in finding purpose in that time of waiting and how God eventually kind of led you through that and and I know one of the things that you had shared with me then was that you kind of felt like, and you can you can tell me if I'm remembering this wrong, but that you felt like that was maybe giving you a, a little bit of a taste of what you thought your husband, um, yeah. as he might go through mm-hmm. once you transitioned here to America, and how he would be very, uh, very much in a in a very different element. Right. Um, 
And so I'm, I'm wondering if you can maybe talk a little bit about um, just what you see as, as, as you and as, as y'all as a couple transition to America. Uh, how do you see that going and, and maybe how, how does uh, Hezzy kind of see himself transitioning to life here? Because uh, I know you've said he, he loved his farm work there and he had um, crops there that he really felt kind of passionate about his work doing that. And so now he's away from that. And I think that was kind of where you were going with that kind of struggling perhaps for, for purpose and what he's, what yeah. he might be doing here. But how do you feel like that's going to go for y'all? And, and what are, what are some things y'all are going to kind of try to do to, mm-hmm. to help, help make that transition a smooth one? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I feel like it's early for, for me to be able to give a good answer to that. But I think for him, he needs to have other things to dive into. So, so far he's been waking up and running early in the morning every day. I think that's been something good for him. And uh, for me, I think my purpose is clear now, but for him, he will need to have something that's meaningful to him that he can pour into. So I don't know if we know what that is yet, but I hope that the Lord will provide that. (laughs) Uh, If it's something agricultural or maybe to to be able to have some meaningful relationships with some of the youth at the Vine. He's definitely a relational guy. He likes to be one-on-one or small groups with people rather than the big setting. <laughs> so uh, hopefully he can have some some meaningful, close relationships with other people and, and some sort of project that he can really invest himself into, but we don't know what that is yet. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I thought too, as you were sharing just kind of about the the assumptions that were made about you in Kenya and the expectations that were placed on you in Kenya um, and how that too would be flipped now mm-hmm. and how people are going to see him right. and, and have assumptions yes. and maybe prejudices mm-hmm. and expectations and, and how all of that um, now it's going to be almost the reverse for y'all. And, mm. um, and, and that's something we want to try to, uh, to be as helpful and supportive as we can in in helping helping you as a as a couple and you as as individuals kind of navigating that transition and knowing that just as you said all those sort of um, injustices and and different mm-hmm. things that exist there certainly you know yeah. they're they're not particular to any one culture right. or country and that we're wrestling culturally with a lot of the same things here. Mm-hmm. Um, even in, and perhaps especially around topics like race, yeah. Um, and so wanting to be sensitive to uh, to journeying with y'all as y'all kind of enter into to that environment and mm-hmm. and, and culture here. Um, and so that was a, another thing that I was kind of curious about is just kind of so you, you've spent this time in in Kenya and and of course especially over the last year, but even you could go further than that. We've there's been all kinds of uh, divisiveness and upheaval mm. in America, and 2020 has been quite the year for us. Yeah, with COVID, which we know it affects all parts of the world, but just continued kind of racial tension and um, political division and upheaval. And so I was I was curious, just how how do people in Kenya kind of view all of that, and mm. and is that a topic or something that people notice in other parts of the world and 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 if so, what do people kind of think about or or talk about kind of 
the state of things in in America. Mm-hmm. I think there there's not a real clear picture of what's happening in America in Kenya. Even myself, I'm trying to catch up and understand what's <laughs> happening, even with with the racism and the protests and everything. Um, but I think people are a little bit perplexed because from the Kenyan perspective, they believe that America is super developed, there's perfect unity, they believe there's no poverty, that everyone has a huge house and a car. And mm. so I think for them, they're not aware of things like white supremacy concepts or of the injustices, maybe say a black person applying for a job might not, might be at a disadvantage to get that job versus a white person. So I think they're not really aware of those things very much. And so when they just saw these kind of random protests on TV, they're like, what's going on in America? It's supposed to be Canaan, you know? <laughs> they they look to us as like the, the perfect country. And so when things are a little are chaotic, it's disillusioning of... Like, well, if America is messed up, well, what about Africa, you know? And if America mm. is having problems with COVID-19, what about our healthcare system that's incredibly weak? And um, so I think it causes concern because they view themselves as behind America in development and, and pretty much every aspect. So they look to America, if it's having issues, then what about us? Things are going to be bad here. I, I, I heard hmm. there was some level of of protest or something i think in nairobi um also in response to black lives matter and police brutality but it didn't really catch on in africa um and i i don't know how how people are are feeling now but i think there's just this general sense of like the whole world is going down the toilet kind of thing <laughs> Because if Canaan is having problems, what about us outside the promised yeah. land? That's, yeah, that's interesting. And I think it's, it's just a reminder of how we all, regardless of our culture, uh, can build up certain images or, or kind of false narratives. And, and when reality pushes against that, that can be, as you said, very disillusioning and, and disconcerting and, and, and makes us kind of have to realize that, yeah, life doesn't always look like the picture that we have mm. in our head. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so maybe to, um, can you kind of give us a picture, because I know you said there were kind of assumptions and, and, and things placed on you when, when you were there, in kind of your typical just kind of day-to-day life, what what percentage of, of, of kind of people around you were, were white? Um, hmm. Like just... <laughs> Can you can you kind of speak to that a little bit? In like my day how, to day how much life, I, like regular, yeah. I could say zero to one percent. Um, really? So yeah. you're very much a minority where you were. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. I sent you one picture of me with my women's Bible study, which is about half white, and I found that Bible study a couple months before we left, <laughs> um, or before the quarantine started, and we weren't allowed to meet anymore. But there, there is a community of expats in the city of Eldoret where we were, but I just didn't have the connections to interact with them until really late. So I made one American friend this year after having been there for almost four years. But um, 
I think it's just the circles that I run in. Everybody is Kenyan. I'm the only white person. <laughs> I might see maybe one person if I'm walking on the streets of Eldoret, but very rare. And I don't think about it. It's not really something that comes to my mind like, oh, I'm the only white person out here. But mm-hmm. um, it, I'm only reminded when people yell at me the name that they call white people, which is Mzungu. And so when I'm walking down the street and I get like five or six, Mzungu, Mzungu, and then I remember, <laughs> oh yeah, I'm different. But the rest of the time, it's not something that I think about. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, Rachel, we're, we're glad that you have, have made the decision to come and, and to, to come stateside. And I think all of that, um, experience, I just can't help but think that even just that, that you were saying of, of, of having that experience and perspective of, of being such a, a minority in a place is just, is perspective and, and, an insight that most of us as white people in America just don't have and can't relate to and could probably benefit from in many ways. And so I hope, I hope that's, um, impactful for you going forward and I'm, I'm sure it creates empathy and, and compassion and, mm. and all of those things for others who are different and and we're we're very excited about um having both of you as a, as a couple join us here at the vine whenever whenever we're able to to all get back together again and yeah <laughs> and do stuff together and to have you participate remotely until that point and excited to see what the future will hold for us together and so Thank you for your your faithfulness in in kind of seeing this process through and your your openness to where God is is leading you as as an individual for you and and for a couple for you and Hezi and, and we're we're excited about getting to know you better. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to get to know you guys. <laughs> so many emails and <laughs> I would love to just right. like see it. We're in the same time zone face. now at least. So And like yeah. is the whole it like is the vine, is it Warren and Jason only, or are there some other people? <laughs> because you and well, the guys the, have been communicating with all along. So We're the most important ones. Okay. So you know. <laughs> hey, priesthood of the believer, man. So I hope to get to meet everybody and uh, to have some meaningful fellowship with with the rest of you guys at The Vine as we move forward. Thank you for your time. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Thanks for spending this time with us. And we uh, we often close out in prayer. So Jason, you want to close out with any any closing thoughts and then prayer? Well, just that it's, you know, this has been a, a long journey for Rachel and Hezzy. Uh, it's been somewhat of a metaphorical long journey for for those of us who, uh, you know, got to meet her through mm. the interview process and through everything and uh, just kind of waiting and, and following the, the trials and tribulations <laughs> of, of international travel yeah. in the midst of a pandemic. I mean, gosh, at, at some point, I think uh, the the harrowing journey that the two of you had, I'm sure will serve as wonderful fodder for future mm. lessons and sermons <laughs> and stuff like that. Yeah. So oh, yeah. I look forward to hearing all that. <laughs> and I think it's also worth pointing out real, real quick before Jason, you close us out just that, um, you know, I think most, most people here know this isn't, um, this isn't a full-time position that, that Rachel's coming over here for. And Hezzy is coming over with a lot of questions about what he's going to be doing as you kind of spoke to earlier, Rachel. And, and I think that the the fact that y'all um, saw God's hand in this and and felt like, hey, this is where God 
God is, is kind of leading us and this is a door he's opening for us. And so we're going to walk through it, um, with, with quite a few unknowns. And as you said, you know, <laughs> you, you really don't have much of a picture of what the, what the rest of the church even looks like <laughs> or who the people are or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And so you're going on a lot of trust and a lot of faith. And, and I, I think that's very admirable for both of you. Um, and, and for Hezzy too, that he was kind of, as you said, the, the kind of the impetus behind this kind of transition back to America in, in a lot of ways. So I think that speaks speaks very highly of, of both of you and um and I just I think y'all are both gonna be a, a great uh great additions to to our family at, at the vine for for however long it is that, that God has you with Yeah, thank you so much. Well and and for my part, I feel like, you know, I've gotten to know you a little bit and obviously there's a lot more to get to know, but uh, I'm I'm honestly excited to get to know Hezzy a little bit better because, uh, you know, you and I have, have spoken yeah. and we've emailed back and forth, but uh, haven't really gotten to, to speak with him very much. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to when we're able to, to get to know him. He would say, don't expect much. <laughs> <laughs> He's really quiet at first, but when you have more time with him, well, hey, he'll as, open up. As a fellow introverted person yeah. who does better in small groups, uh, he we can we can hang out and we'll we'll uh-huh. we'll, we'll ease him in. Okay, sounds he, good. <laughs> he he actually will fit in quite well with a lot of our members okay. and, and people who are involved with church who that what you how you just described him would describe a lot of people in our church. <laughs> Great. All right. All right. So I'll uh, I'll close this out in prayer. Dear God, we praise you and we lift you up um, for all of the many blessings you give to us, for the ways that you care for us, the ways that you guide us, the ways that you um, that you bring us into new chapters of our lives. God, I pray uh, blessings upon Rachel and Hezzy and this new uh, this new journey that they are embarking upon. Uh, I ask that you uh, give them safety and protection, that you give them uh, comfort and peace and joy. Uh, God, I pray that we as a church can be um, uh, can be uplifting to them, that we can be generous of spirit and generous of resources uh, for them. Um, And I pray that for however long that they are a part of our body, whether it's a short time or a long time, that we can be a blessing to them and that they will bless us and that you will continue to bless us through them. Uh, Thank you again for, uh, for bringing them into our fellowship. And I ask that you uh, continue to watch over them uh, as they uh, as they adjust to this new environment, as they adjust to the changes that uh, that they have embarked upon, uh, thank you again for your blessings, especially for the sun that you give to us uh, for uh, for our everlasting life. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. Amen.